Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Coming up on today's show, the energy transition is here. Whether we like it or not, it's here. So we need to get past the politics and the us versus them and the all or nothing approach and actually deal with reality. Have you heard of the Rule of 30? It's a new book, The Rule of 30, A Better Way to Save for Retirement. And Sheldon Kennedy will join us to talk about the situation surrounding the Chicago Blackhawks, what it says about hockey and what it says about the NHL. If you listen to this show regularly, you'll know that I often talk about trying to find the common ground because that's where things can actually happen, you know, uh, the middle ground. We often resort to extremes, though. Uh, That's where we end up. Resort's not even a word. It's a combination of revert and resort. I meant to say uh, revert or resort to our extreme positions, and it's sort of all or nothing one way or the other. And really, in the end, there's nowhere to make progress in that. There was a piece recently uh, that I read that really makes a similar argument, much more eloquently than I ever do. Um, and uh, the author is now here to join us and give us a little more insight. We're going to chat with Kevin Krauser, who is the CEO and co-founder of Avatar Innovations Incorporated. Um, Kevin, thank you for joining us this morning. I appreciate your time. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, your piece really resonated with me. I think, you know, most Albertans, I think, are centrist and are aware of the fact that, like it or not, a transition is occurring in the energy world or globally, right? And it, it, it has some drawbacks, but it also has opportunity. But far too often, I think, we just retreat to our corners and come out fighting whenever this topic comes up. <laughs> I, uh, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I think that the reality is, 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 is Alberta and, and Canada at large um, you know, has some big challenges in front of it with the, the energy transition. This is not going to be easy. It's not going to be cheap. And it's going to require a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're literally talking about uh, repowering the world. This is going to take trillions of dollars of capital. Um, and in that regard, I think energy is the new internet. And we can't electrify everything. Right. And the only rational solution is to decarbonize the sectors most dif- difficult to decarbonize exist inside oil and gas. So we can take two approaches. We can take the, oh, this is put, trying to put us in, out of business, let's fight back. Or we could take the approach, oh, guess what? We know how to do this. This is going to make us a whole track of money. So ka-ching, let's go do it. You, you, you're so right. Um, and you know what? I understand for some people, I mean, it's frightening, it's scary. It, it is threatening. So there's legitimate arguments on both sides. You've got the people who are saying, you're trying to shut us down, you're trying to destroy the industry that built this province. On the other side, you've got people saying, hey, you keep talking about doing something with climate change. Nothing ever happens. So you can see how those extreme positions come into play, right? Yeah, and, and they're, they're both very legitimate concerns yeah. and very legitimate frustration. But the only way we're going to actually solve this is if we can work together and have a collective purpose to be able to move forward and recognizing that we have to protect jobs, that we have to protect economic opportunity. We have to do this the smartest way possible that protects uh, people and creates a big opportunity while meaningfully um, decreasing emissions. Um, you know, I, I, I sometimes often say both sides are, are half right. 
But the, the converse of that is both sides are half wrong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right, and and but that's where that's where it happens. It's that half part. I mean, you can't you can't dig into those positions. And I think if you take a look at it, Kevin, um, industry has recognized this. They're quietly well, well, the politicians and the public are squabbling and fighting and arguing and protesting. Industry is moving along and making changes and adapting to the changing environment that they work in. Um, and I mean, they they recognize it. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the the ultimate conclusion of of this story is that the energy industry can, must, and is a meaningful and powerful partner in the country's climate ambitions. Um, you know, the 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 party is making some of the largest investments um, in clean technologies and energy transition technologies for us to truly get to a net zero energy future um, are the incumbent energy firms. Um, you know, we have trillions of dollars of capital tied up in energy infrastructure. Um, the, che- the most efficient, effective, and economic means of us reaching a net zero energy future is to leverage what we can out of this existing infrastructure and not just start from scratch. Um, and that's the, the really exciting space I see Alberta and, and Canada playing in. And that's why I'm so excited about the future of the energy industry in this province is because we've got everything we need to be able to do to not just do this in Canada, but actually export it to the rest of the world. Um, You know, Bill Gates last week was in in Princeton, and he said that, you know, the energy transition is going to require, you know, trillions upon trillions of dollars of the capital. And what are they, in this this process, we'll create eight to ten companies like the size of a Tesla, Mm -hmm. plus an Amazon, Microsoft, and um, Apple-type company. How many of those are going to be headquartered in Alberta? That's the plot line that the entire industry needs to, and, and governments need to wrap their head around, is turning this into an opportunity. Right. Yeah, instead of it being a threat and, uh, you know, to the very existence of this province saying, you know what, it's a transition and it's an opportunity that we can capitalize on. Yes, it is. It's a transition we can be in the driver's seat of. Yeah. Uh, and like, like we like we always have when when the world transitioned from coal to natural gas, like it, you know, we were in the driver's seat of that transition. We can do the same thing um, here again. We got rid of mercury and lead out of out of our out of our fuel sources. Um, why can't we get carbon out? Yeah, it's a process. It's an opportunity, but we have to silence the political extremism, right? I mean, that's that's one of the big barriers here. I think that it's one of the big barriers because it shuts down debate it and does. and 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 actually leads to some bad decisions. And I I, I think both the extremes on, on both sides, um, you know, are to blame. Um, yeah. This is a really important question. We need some cool heads, and we need um, to be able to drive some some rational business decisions. And I think the vast majority of Canadians and Albertans are are losing a lot of patience with the extremes on both sides. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Kevin. I couldn't agree with you more. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Appreciate you joining us. Great. Thanks for having me. You bet. That's Kevin Krausert, who is um, the CEO and co-founder of Avatar Innovations Incorporated in Calgary. All right. As I said a few minutes ago, we've had a lot of doom and gloom when it comes to finances and the economy and inflation. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, you know, to, a little different discussion today. We're going to be chatting with the author of a new book um, that uh, sort of, it, it's really kind of interesting because, you know, when I, as soon as I was talking here about um, uh, the fact that we were going to have this discussion, I got a text uh, from a listener saying, you know what, 
Um, I, I pay yourself first. That's the way that you do it. You have to put away some money every. T- well, maybe you don't, and sometimes that's not possible. And that's what this book deals with. So let's have a chat now with author Fred Vatisse, who. Um, is not only an author, he was a former chief actuary at Morneau Chappelle. He's written a number of books. The latest is called The Rule of 30, A Better Way to Save for Retirement. Fred, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate your time. Oh, hi, hi there. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, great, it's great to be on your show. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's just start. Rule of 30. How, how does it work? If somebody wants, I mean, in a nutshell, this Rule of 30 plan for retirement savings, how does this work? Well, you've uh, already kind of described it. It's uh, kind of based on uh, save when you can. And um, so what I've come up with is a rule of 30 whereby uh, if you look at the percentage of your pay, uh, your gross pay before tax, uh, 30% of that should go toward uh, three sources, should go toward uh, saving for retirement, uh, paying off your mortgage, and also special one-time expenses, things that you can't really uh, avoid, uh, things which are pretty essential, so it's not not a cruise, but it would be things yeah. like, uh, like like daycare, for example. So so thirty percent goes toward those three sources, which means early in your career, when when your earnings are lower and you have a hefty mortgage to pay off, and maybe daycare on top of that, you know, thirty percent is going toward those two sources alone. As a result of which, you can't save anything at all toward retirement for for a few years. So, and that's okay. I mean, because we we that's not what we've been told historically, right? You have to pay yourself first. You're saying, you know what? Sometimes that's just not possible. I I, I think it is okay. So I, I stress tested it pretty pretty rigorously in the book. I mean, I am an actuary, and yeah. we actuaries tell people to save for retirement. But I I I have I know a lot many young people. My my own sons are in their thirties. I have uh, my nieces and nephews um, and, and all their friends and so on, and I just know that there are times in their life when they just cannot save anything at all, and then, of course, they're going to stress over that because they can't save. So I tested it to see whether or not uh, you would do better with the rule of 30. Now, the way when you say pay yourself first, let's say it's 10% of yeah, pay. Yeah. It can be different percentage. That's what we're always told, right? Um, it, it, ends, it ends up being super hard at one age, like maybe when you're 32. It ends up being super easy when you're 57 and the mortgage is paid off. So rather than making it super hard sometimes and super easy other times, why don't you make it like equally moderately uh, doable, um, you know, at all at all points in time, you know, whether you're young or old. And so you'll end up saving more under the rule of 30 once your mortgage is paid off. So yeah, make, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So when we take a look at this, is this something that you think someone should bring into effect, you know, right after that, once they enter the workforce, whether they leave college or, or, or get right into work after high school, like when is the yeah. best time to implement this? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. I've never been too fussed about people not, not really saving toward in, in their twenties. And, and actually, if you apply the rule of 30, um, another one of those things which uh, you really can't avoid is going to be just saving for that first down payment. Yeah, yeah. So even 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 before you get to the, the mortgage uh, the mortgage payments, you're going to be saving up for that first down payment, and and you probably it, that's probably going to eat up most of your thirty percent anyway. So you probably won't be able to save very much until uh, even in your twenties. Um, and if you can, then sure. Um, I would say start applying it almost immediately. And as I say, if you do, then maybe you're not saving anything at all uh, until you're age 30, 32, 35, whatever. What, I mean, everybody's so different. We're all in such different positions. We all have different, you know, I mean, if you have a company pension, for example, that changes things where that's sort of a, a reduction where you can really, you know, you can benefit because of the employer uh, contribution. So is that something that you should factor into that 30 Rule of 30? Definitely. Company pension is a, is a big thing. So the uh, question is, what kind of company pension? Uh, some people may know, but defined benefit pension plans, which is the kind of pension plans people have in the public, uh, public sector, in the public service. And 
if you're in one of those plans, then I, or if you, if you, if you excuse me, I would say you can actually tune out of the uh, next five minutes or so of this program and go do something <laughs> else and then come back because you're actually all set for retirement if you actually um, save one of those plans throughout your career. Uh, however, in the private sector these days, almost nobody is uh, still covered by a yeah. defined benefit pension plan. They're covered by what they call defined contribution plans, uh, kind of thing where you know you put four percent in, your employer puts in four percent. And often in those kind of plans, you can put in additional contributions which are matched by your employer. So let's say you put in four and four, that's mandatory. And you can put another 3% on top of that, which the employer will match with 3%. I would say yes, all that stuff is definitely included in your rule okay. of 30. What about now, you're talking about, you know, you this changes based on your expenses and your income. Now, you can be a 25-year-old making six figures and you can be a 25 year old making $45,000 a year. Does the rule of 30 apply equally depending, you know, regardless of what kind of income you're earning? It actually applies surprisingly well uh, across different earnings levels. And and one reason for it, for that is because your your need to save uh, changes as your income goes up. You actually, you know, need need a, a bigger bigger pile of assets even proportionate to your income uh, when you when you have when you when you have a higher income. And that's because uh, sources like CPP and old age security uh, aren't as important to you, so you have to make up for it by by saving more of your own money. And so, say, so think about it this way: Rule of Thirty. If you have lower income, you can't really save very much because it's all being eaten up by by your mortgage yeah. payments. But that's kind of okay because the C- CPP you're saving, you're getting, and OAS that you're going to be getting, um, those are are a bigger proportion of. Uh, of what what you actually need to be saving for retirement anyway. Uh, as I said, I've stress tested it against uh, uh, different starting ages. I've stress tested against um, different earnings levels and so on, and it, it applies surprisingly well. And one reason, I don't know if you're going to get to it, but one reason is because you don't apply the rule of 30 right up until you know you, you retire at age 65 or 67 or whatever. You apply it up until about age 55. Okay, and then what changes? Okay, so at that point in time, you you now have a, a pretty pretty good pile of assets. Uh, hopefully, you, know, you have a pretty good nest egg saved up. Um, you also have a much better idea as to when you plan to retire. You might now know that you want to leave the workforce when you're 58 or 62 or 67. Okay. And so, with those two things, you also know how well your investments have done over the previous number of years. So, with all that knowledge, what you then do is you should then get a retirement calculator. And a financial planner can help you with that, or there are also calculators available on online on the internet, um, often for free. And so, with that, you plug your numbers into the calculator to figure out how much more money you need to save for retirement from that point on. And uh, it may it may still be according to the rule of thirty, or it might be a slightly different percentage. But the rule of thirty puts you on the right track and to get to that point. When you're talking about saving, I mean, I know for a guy like me uh, who's not really uh, well versed in this, there are so many options out there. You've got your RRSPs, you've got mutual funds, you've got tax-free savings accounts, you've got stocks. I mean, the list goes on and on. What's the best course of action to take if you're someone who's really not immersed in this world but just wants to put some money away, like you say, and follow the rule of 30? Where do you put it? Well, actually, so you've actually got three kinds of vehicles. You've got your RRSPs, as you said, and you've got your TFSAs, your tax-free yep. savings account, and then you've got your non, non-registered uh, accounts as stocks well. Stocks and bonds. And, stuff. and so in each, in, each of those, in each of those, you can put stocks, you can put bonds, you can put mutual funds. All of those can take those, those kinds of investments. But in terms of which vehicle you use, um, I, I look at it this way. If, you're, if you start off with, reason, with uh, um, uh, comparatively low earnings in your early years, you're best, best off putting all your money into a TFSA at that point in time. 
And then later on, as your earnings are, as you go up the, the income tax brackets, then you're better off putting your money into an RRSP. That would be really the most efficient way to save because, um, you know, with the RSP, you put in $1,000. If you're in a 30% income tax bracket, you get back $300 as a tax refund. If you're in a 50% tax bracket, then you get $500 back. So you want to maximize that. You want to maximize yeah. the, your tax refund. And so save it for, for the times when you're you're in a higher tax bracket. Makes sense to me. So you're not saying completely throw out the window. Don't worry about saving until you're 50, right? I mean, if you can do it, saving is still a good thing. I mean, does that 10% rule still apply if you're in that position? Well, you know what? If, if, so the answer is no, not quite. Okay. If, if you want to do that, if you still want to pay yourself first, you say, you know what? I don't know if I can trust this guy. I still think I want to pay myself first. If you can do it, more power to you. If you can do it without, you know, starving yourself in your 30s, then great. Uh, save save some uh, say a constant percentage. These days, though, that constant percentage is higher than it used to be. And uh, while it still depends on things like when you plan to retire and your investment returns, probably it's more like a 12 to 15 percent as opposed to 10 percent. Okay. So it's one reason why it would have gone down is because uh, the Canada Pension Plan will be bigger in the future because of the enhancements that uh, are coming in right now. But one reason why it's going to be uh, why you have to save more is because real returns on your investments are lower than the, than, than they used to be. All they right. Be A lot of information there and uh, valuable information. Fred, thank you so much for your time. It's my, it's my pleasure. That is Fred Vatisse, author of The Rule of 30, A Better Way to Save for Retirement former chief actuary of Morneau-Chapelle. So much of the talk surrounding hockey and the NHL uh, again today is the last thing the NHL wants to be dealing with. Of course, uh, all the fallout following the release of the public investigation into what happened with the Chicago Chicago Blackhawks um, back in 2010. Uh, Blackhawks GM Stan Bowman resigned yesterday, not only from the Blackhawks, but from Hockey USA. He was supposed to GM their Olympic entry. He was with the Blackhawks when, back in 2010, Reports of sexual assault were brought to team management and um, they sat on it while they were in the midst of their playoff run. Uh, and several people have now lost their jobs. And there's questions about what's going to happen to some very high profile people in hockey today. Um, Reed Wilkins is actually down at the Oilers skate this morning, but he's going to join us because that sort of fits into the discussion as well. Reed, thanks for taking a minute to chat with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Shay. Appreciate it. Yeah, this story, I mean, you know it's going to be discussed in Edmonton. It's going to be discussed in Florida, where Joel Quenville is the coach. It's going to be discussed in Winnipeg, where Cheval Dayoff is the GM. Um, obviously, this is a story that, you know, a lot of people are wondering, who knew what, when did they know it, and why didn't they do anything? Well, and I think that's that's really the story here. And I, and I think in terms of going forward here, what might happen in the days to come yeah. is what will happen to Joel Quenville and Kevin Chevel Dayoff. Obviously Quenville has a a meeting with, with Gary Bedman coming up. You know, if you look at that report that, that came out yesterday and I and I haven't read the whole thing, it's a it's a little tough to get through, especially when you read some of the accounts of the, you know, alleged incident or incidents. But you know, that Quenville apparently said, well, we don't need a, a distraction right now. You know, we're yeah. trying to win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, okay, I, I get it. The coaches don't want distractions around the team, but this is was a lot bigger than that. This was a really serious allegation with, about a player being uh, assaulted. And I think that's sort of the crux of this, is that the Blackhawks sort of chose to 
deal with it at a time that was more convenient to, to them, you know, and still allow Brad Ulrich to be around the team and celebrate the Stanley Cup and and have his name on the Stanley Cup as opposed to just he's you know was would have if, I think if he would have been immediately fired from the team, um, maybe the fallout for this wouldn't be what it is right now. So, you know, Joel Quinville is you know a high profile coach. I mean, one of the winningest in in the Ever. NHL. You know, so to have him this surrounding him now and his name be associated like this is 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 pretty significant and then you know again you read the accounts of of this meeting that the blackhawks leadership group had and we're talking about like the off-ice leaders the president the gm the coaches you know kevin Sheveldayoff was there as well though in a more junior uh junior position than he, than he would have been at the time so you know i i think that's that's a big part of the story here shay is that something very awful happened and that the blackhawks um, decided. All right. Well, this is this is not something that's convenient for us to deal with right now because because winning trumps you know, the victim in this case or or, or anything that that could have happened. If you look at how it's being handled, you know it appears that if the NHL as the NHL further investigates this and perhaps punishes people, and you mentioned Stan Bowman stepping down as GM of the Blackhawks and no longer being involved with the U.S. Olympic team. I, I, I mean, it, it appears that though those off-ice types of leaders are the people that are going to be, quote-unquote, targeted here um, for, for punishment. I mean, Duncan Keith is going to speak here any minute. Shay, so will he? We'll see what he says about it. I, I know if, if, and I'm not comparing um, what the Astros did to what's going on with Chicago. I mean, right. sign stealing in baseball is against the rules. It's not nearly as serious as, as sexual assault allegations. But if you look at how they were punished, it was the the manager of the team. It was the general manager of the team. They didn't go after individual right. players who might have like who knew what. You, you know who was actually banging the drum? Did some what players let it happen? Like it, you know, it wasn't that type of thing. So I, I would think here that it again, it's going to be the fates of Coinville and Shovel Day off that are the next chapter in this story. Yeah, and Reed, and at this point, um, in regards to what the NHL might do regarding Shovel Day off and Coinville, as you said, Bettman's going to meet with them, right, to have a discussion about what they you know, what they're mentioned in, regarding in this report and then make a decision from there, if there's any decision at all, right? Well, or do the, or do the club teams decide to do something? Sure, no, they, they, haven't, yeah. they, they haven't yet. Um, you, you know, you, Quinville's supposedly going to coach tonight, at least last I saw, and then have his meeting tomorrow. You know, it's just, it raises so many questions, Shay, because, you know, I'm sure you've seen... The okay, so the Hawks got fined two million two million dollars. Yeah. Well, New Jersey was originally fined three million dollars. It was later cut in half for you know the the contract uh, violation, right? I mean, Arizona got heavily uh, punished for their role with testing players um, outside of the draft combine. You know, which uh, again are, are violations of NHL rules, but sort of pale in comparison Absolutely. to an actual. Uh, very serious crime and and you know again more with with quinville you know he apparently even after you know allegedly knowing what had happened still gave brad aldrich a a good recommendation and you know as opposed to you know outlining what he knew or or just distancing himself from him so you know all that 
all that is going to circle into this. Yeah, it's going to be messy. And, uh, of course, as you said, uh, Duncan Keith, like I, he'll be asked, but I think you're right in saying this is going to fall more to Cheval Day Off and to Quenville. I don't know if the players will be brought into it. They typically haven't been, but uh, appreciate that you're there and uh, bring us any updates that come along. Okay. okay. Thanks, Reed. That's Reed Wilkins, um, who is host of... Uh, Inside Sports on 6.30. Ched, uh, as we said, down at Oilers Gate today, and there will be a ton of media attention there because Duncan Keith was on that Stanley Cup winning team in 2010. And, and one, of, one of the things that really, you know, it, so they, they, they know what happened with Brad Aldrich, the video coach. Uh, it was reported. Um, he was given the choice to either be fired or to resign. A lot of people upset about that. He resigned. Um, when he did step away, he got severance of $20,000. He also got a $15,000 playoff bonus. Uh, he got his day with the Stanley Cup. He was there at the Stanley Cup parade. Um, and then Joe Quenville, as a parting gift, gave him this recommendation. Aldrich did a great job for the coaching staff in preparing us for all of our meetings and coordinating several tasks that we forward his way. Brad has several people relying on him at once and has a way of deflecting and accommodating everyone at once. Congrats on winning the Stanley Cup. This is after we knew what was going on. So we're going to take a quick break and get um, Sheldon Kennedy's perspective on this, of course. He's done so much work around this very issue uh, involving hockey, and we'll get his take on what we're hearing today when we come back after this. All right, talking about the situation with the Chicago Blackhawks from 2010 and the report that came out yesterday, uh, which has just left so many people so very, very disappointed. Uh, in the leadership group of the Chicago Blackhawks. Basically, they were presented with um, allegations that uh, one of their video coaches was involved in the sexual assault of at least one player, and they decided that the playoff chase was what was important, and they weren't going to do anything about it. Uh, extremely disappointing to all of us, and I can imagine it's the same for Sheldon Kennedy, who joins us now. Um, Sheldon, thanks for taking your time this morning. Really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, no, my pleasure, Shay. Yeah, I just imagine, you know, uh, you've done so much work around this, and I understand it goes back 10 or 11 years, but at the same time, it's just that perpetuation of this is what the problem is with hockey when it comes to this issue, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, my first thought, uh, and I had to, you know, I had to practice the 24-hour rule when I <laughs> when I read that report, uh, not try to make a comment, uh, at least for for till the next day but uh you know when i read that i i you know just thought uh i thought of john doe one i thought of the players and the individuals that were impacted here and you know they finally <clears throat> mustered up um you know the strength mm-hmm. to uh they did the right thing they did what they needed to do and that was to bring it forward and and uh and they did and uh, the leadership uh, of the organization um, took no action and let them down. And I think, you know, that is probably one of the biggest, that's the biggest uh, disappointments here is that, you know, we, we spend so much time trying to tell people to, um, you know, to come forward and tell your story and talk, talk, talk. Meanwhile, uh, when it falls on death's ears, um, you know, that's almost more impactful for the victims than the actual incident itself. You know, Sheldon, I've been involved in amateur hockey for a long time, and I know a lot of the work that you've done and other groups that you've been involved with have done to really change the culture around this. This is going back to 2010. Do you think it would be the same situation in 2021, or would this be handled differently? Have we made any progress? Well, I, you know, I think, I think that in, in minor hockey across this country, I think it would absolutely, in in most cases, be handled differently. 
Um, you know, because I think if you look at the look at the Chicago Blackhawks case, look look at the bystanders, look at the people that understood and knew, you know what was what was happening here, and and all of those individuals, I believe that they're, you know, they're, you know, they're, you know, they're they're smart people that didn't make a good decision around these issues, and I think that, you know, to me. If, it, if you look at the when we looked at the uh, the report and you know they had they had it in their policies they had it in yep. their procedures but to me this is not a policy procedure issue you know it's a great cover up to say oh yeah we got it covered in our policies procedures but what we're talking about is we're talking about a culture shift and I think that this this action is and and the way this was handled from day one um, is is a piece of the systemic nature uh, or culture, if you may, um, within, you know, the NHL ranks or hockey in general. Don't say nothing. And, yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about, Jay, we talk about how difficult it is for for the victims to say anything. Look at everybody else around that situation that didn't say anything. So it's not just, you know, the the, the victim in this that, you know, has has a hard time coming forward. Nobody wanted to say nothing. So here's the question, Sheldon. Stan Bowman stepped down. Some other people have lost their jobs. Uh, Joel Quenville is coaching the Florida Panthers tonight. Ken Dayoff is still GM of Winnipeg. They were involved in this. A lot of people saying the NHL is dealing with this. You know, they've been firmer on, you know, contract violations, for goodness sake. What do you think has to happen? Is this an inflection point where it's kind of like this is not tolerated and you will be drummed out of the league if you're involved? Well, it has to be. Yeah. I mean... You know that that's not uh, you know it, it's got to be unacceptable. I mean, this you know if we look at you know the, in my you know from my understanding, I mean the last time I looked, um, the NHL is a workplace, and you know I guess I would go and ask and say you know if this stuff happened in your workplace, Shay, yeah, um, you know what would happen? Exactly right. But I but I think that's the way we have to look at it. And I you know and I think from day one, you know I mean. If we look at, you know, we look at the comments from both Quenville and Shevel Dayoff, I mean, um, you know, they denied knowing. Yeah. And now we know they had a meeting about it. And now we know that they did know. So to me, you know, this isn't going away. And I think that there was there was that archaic response to these issues that you just said nothing and just Mm -hmm. it'll it'll blow over. And that was a response that would have been, you know, back when I started in 98. Right, just be quiet about this stuff, and it's going to go away. And that is not the way that we have to respond to this stuff today. This stuff is better understood. It's really um, we understand the impact that it has on the individuals. And I think that all comes down to leadership. These issues, and when when these issues are dealt with properly, when they are put in the p- priority column within an organization um, to 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 educate and build a confidence around these issues to be able to have a clear pathway for individuals to come forward to have them investigated properly and you know be able to have everybody in the organization on the same page right that that's what's lacking here this is you know that this is a leadership issue yeah. and the NHL and the Chicago Blackhawks the leadership of those two organizations i hope learn from this situation and make sure that they're doing everything in their power to be better when you talk about leadership it's you it's flurry 
it's the guys who have pushed this and made and like I think I think you make a really good point when you talk about amateur hockey and the work that the groups you've been involved with have taken and, and the the training and the education that goes on in amateur hockey has made such a difference to me if this isn't dealt with it's sort of a rejection or at least you know, we're we're working hard to change the culture and to change the perception that people have about hockey. And this is a proving point here. It, it must be that important to you too. This is a huge, like, it, this is a very important. This is a this is a very serious situation. Um, and and the NHL and the Blackhawks need to get it right because it's not going away. Yeah. And and that's just the reality. And I think they've realized that now. Um, I think that there's never going to be a uh, end point in how do we continually get better in this space. But I mean, if you look at the NHL, I mean, this is about inclusion. Look at look at how they ostracized the victim when they came forward. That's not inclusion, right? They aren't they all about inclusion and diversity? Yeah, uh, that's, and that that's their message. Well, every commercial break. Not, yeah. So I am. This flies in the face, yeah. and the way they've handled this flies in the face of all the good stuff that they're trying to do around inclusion and diversity. And to me, um, you know, this is a real issue. And it's not just about, this is not just about, you know, having a bad video coach on your team that is going to abuse players. This is about, you know, running an organization that has drafted 18-year-old kids and has many young men and women in your organization that, you know, who knows what their background is. Yeah. And and if they come to you with something that's going on in their life, do you know how to handle it? Or are you just going to shuffle it off or trade them or get rid of them? Are you actually going to deal with the person? And I think that's what it gets down to. You know, how do we get to that point where, you know, the person is the most important thing, more important, uh, you know, than, than a playoff win. If they can help you win. Yeah. Uh, Sheldon, great stuff. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Have a good day. You too. That's Sheldon Kennedy uh, talking about the situation of Chicago Blackhawks. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.